All right. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Um, I'm Carla, and this is David. Um, and we'll be sharing our testimony about life group leadership with you this evening. Um, so when Kelly reached out and asked me to share, I was a little unsure about what to say, but I think it's best to share just how I fell into life group leadership. So I didn't actually choose the life group leadership life. I think the life group leadership life chose me. And I say that because I signed up for a life group over the summer of 2021, and I was looking for community. I, you know, I think the pandemic affected everyone in various ways, but I really wanted to find some people to connect with, and so I was like, okay, I'll sign up for a life group. Um, and so I showed up the first night, went well, and then the second night I showed up, and I actually hadn't really caught up on that week's lesson until maybe the hour before, when I was like, you know what, I should listen to the podcast that we're listening to and write notes on it and that'll help me be prepared. So I show up and lo and behold, our first life group leader doesn't show up. And so I'm sitting there wondering, okay, hold up, what's happening, what's going on? So I call him and I'm like, hey, you know, are you gonna show up tonight? Uh, you know, our other life group leader isn't showing up either, so what's going on? And so he tells me, oh no, I won't be there tonight. So uh, I don't know, let me just figure out real quick what's gonna happen. And so in that moment, I really had a quick decision to make. Either I could go ahead and lead out that night or just kind of figure out our way through the night's topic. And so I called in real quick and I'm like, you know what, look, I'm willing to lead tonight. I feel prepared somewhat, um, as nervous as I was. And so in that split second, I, I became a life group leader that night. Um, and that night actually, um, the most people showed up to our life group, which really scared me, but I was like, Lord, you gotta lead through me. And thankfully he helped me through that night. And th thereafter, um, I led out the rest of that life group for that season. And one of the topics we talked about actually was singleness. And so from that was kind of spurred an idea of mine, hey, let's talk about singleness. You know, a lot of people go through it, have gone through it, or will go through it. And so how can we best prepare ourselves in that season? And so that seed grew and I started a life group on singleness where David kind of comes in and he decided to co-lead with me. So if any of you are unsure about whether you wanna be a life group leader, I highly encourage it because it's a great way to connect with other people, make new friends, learn more about yourself and more about God. And you know, we're created to be in relationship with God, but we're also created to be in relationship with others. And so I think one of the greatest ways you can grow is seeing your peers, you know, sharing heartfelt, vulnerable conversations about what you're going through, and you'll realize a lot more people are going through things that you are going through too than you've realized. Um, so you don't need to be qualified. They will train you. Um, you can become a leader right spur on the moment. Don't recommend it like me, but you know God will equip you and he will carry you through. So I really hope you know that one of you will hear the call and decide to lead a group. And if you want someone to talk to, please feel free to approach me. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so 
that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. warm up there. Perks of being in a pandemic, you know, you get to wear masks, get them caught in your microphone. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Praxis. If any of you guys have actually never been here for the first time, this is your first time, could you just raise your hand? <gasps> welcome, welcome, welcome. Wow, so many first timers. So glad that you guys are here tonight. My name is Kelly Lynn, and um, for those who don't know me, I currently started working for Praxis Ministry a few months ago, and I am the ministry assistant here. So it is my honor and privilege to be here to share a word with you tonight. And tonight's a little unique because each person who came up here on stage has been a really important and vital part of my journey here at Loma Linda. And Azrika, I am so honored that you said that I am one of your highlights here at Loma Linda. That makes me so happy. But also, all of, the, all of my friends and community that have really grown me here at Loma Linda, I really do cherish you. So the music, the scripture reading, the prayer, offering call, testimonies, everyone else in between. Your presence here truly makes me feel loved and welcome, and I hope the rest of you also feel the same way. So, before we begin... Let's start with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for bringing us into this sacred and safe space tonight. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are not mine, but of yours, Lord, that you will use me as your vessel. Be with us now as um, we seek your word and in your truth. In your name we pray, amen. So in 2014, I had a life-changing moment in my life which, by the way, I plan on being very vulnerable with you guys tonight, and I hope that's okay, because I strongly believe that our vulnerabilities are not a sign of weakness, they are not a sign of anything negative, but instead a sign of resilience and of strength, and if we continue to share our vulnerabilities and continue to share our struggles, the more we can relate with each other and grow together. So hopefully by the end of this, we can all be friends. Um, so anyways, 2014, let me set the stage for you. It is February 2, 2014. The Seattle Seahawks have overpowered the weak and sad Denver Broncos and their sad quarterback, Peyton Manning, with a crushing score of 43 to eight, and they win the Super Bowl for the first time in their franchise history. And as someone who is from Seattle, I am so proud of that. So the entire city of Seattle is lit and I'm in Seattle at the time, it is the place that you want to be. People are pouring out onto the streets, they are singing, they are dancing, there's people stuck in traffic because they're trying to get into Seattle, but they can't, so they blast their music and they're dancing out of their sunroofs, and they're lighting fires on their front yards, which I heard about the next day, but some people on Greek Row at my college, University of Washington, was literally uh, lighting fires. And me and my friends are meanwhile at a restaurant bar, and we are just so excited. And I'm, we are so excited, but also very drunk. And as my friends and their designated drivers pack up into their cars, and they head down into downtown Seattle, my brother comes to pick me up, because I am no longer coherent. And one of my friends apparently called him. 
And I think I have some vague memory of myself running around being like, woo! And when my brother came, I'm pretty sure he tried to chase after me, but I don't really remember. And anyways, I don't remember very well. The one thing I do remember is the next morning I wake up and I'm on the floor of my apartment. And some people are like, oh, weird, like, why are you on the floor? And I think it's because I have this weird habit where I cannot sleep in my bed unless I have showered the night before. So even drunk Kelly knew that she couldn't sleep in her bed, so she slept on her floor instead. And I don't know if anyone else does this, but I woke up on the floor and I was like, ah, oh, it must have been because I didn't shower. But at the same time, I felt so incredibly sick. My head was pounding. I was dehydrated, my lips were chopped, I felt sick. But it wasn't just a physical sickness. It was this deep, aching feeling that I had felt for a long time, but I had never addressed. I could tell it was this emotional sickness that went deeper than just a physical sickness. And I knew at that time that I was really trying to let go of this party life that I had led for many years. And I knew it was slowly killing my spiritual, emotional, and mental health. And I knew that I wanted to do better for myself. I knew that I wanted to start going back to church. I knew I wanted to get involved. I knew I wanted to be good, or whatever that meant. And it was just this deep feeling of like disappointment and knowing deep down that this is not what I wanted for myself. And I could tell that that was probably something that God didn't want for me either. It kind of felt like I had saved up all of my life savings and then used that for the entire night. Like it was like saving up this emotional money that I had. And instead of continuing to preserve it and to give to the community, I had splurged it and used it in one night. And I just remember thinking, like, this isn't worth it. And by the way, I know I mentioned that I had a life-changing moment, and that was not the Seahawks winning. It's maybe a close second, but I'll explain now. So that was February of 2014. We're going to fast forward to June 30 of 2014. It's a clear and sunny and beautiful day in Seattle, Washington. And I'm driving to school to the University of Washington because I had some summer OCHEM classes. And I am so glad that I am no longer taking OCHEM. And if you are taking OCHEM, I'm very sorry and I will pray for you. <laughs> but I was driving to school um, on the Interstate 5. And at that time, <clears throat> I had sworn off alcohol since the day that the Seahawks had claimed sweet victory. And I was still struggling to stay away from it. There wasn't really like any more parties or clubs that I went to, but I found that I had created a habit of including it into my day-to-day -day life. So it was maybe like a glass of wine with my steak or like a beer with my burger. And I was also struggling with feeling a lot of shame and guilt with my personal life and yet continuing to grow in my faith and my relationship with Christ. So it was like a weird dynamic of this inner turmoil of like, okay, I want this good in me, but yet I'm also fighting this turmoil inside of me, and I couldn't reconcile that. It felt like my past was also continuing to overshadow my present. And I think a part of it also grew up because, or also happened because I grew up in a strict fundamentalist Christian Adventist home. So I was told from a young age, do not drink, do not smoke, do not do drugs, don't have sex, don't have fun, and ultimately to be good. I'm just kidding, that was a joke. But 
really, I just never thought to question any of that, and I also never thought to question my faith. And if I did, I was just told, well, that's just the way things are. And maybe some of you have experienced that as well. So it's a day where I'm driving to school, just any other day. And as I'm driving, I notice this lady who is on my left side of, my, of where I'm driving. She's in the left lane. And she's trying to get into my lane, but I'm in her blind spot. And in true Kelly fashion, I don't honk because I think that's really aggressive. And I'm from Seattle. And Californians just do it like all the time aggressively. And I'm still learning how to like understand that. I don't really understand it. But I'm a really kind and passive driver. So instead of honking, I just look to the right side where, where the right lane was. And I just decide to go into my right lane. So as I switch over, she's also switching over into my lane. And somehow, I think it was something to do with my tires of my car, but for some reason, my car felt like it was moving back and forth. And I'm swaying back and forth in my lane, and it starts to feel like the tires are coming off of the freeway. And I'm starting to panic because it feels like someone else is driving my car for me. And I'm panicking because at this point, I could start smelling the smoke from my tires start to burn. And I can see the smoke coming up. And I'm getting so confused. And I'm thinking, why is this happening? And so I'm trying to control my, my steering wheel. And I, I don't know what to do. And finally, and like, and again, true Kelly fashion, I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. And I let go of the steering wheel, which I do not recommend. And I was like, I don't know why I thought, like, maybe it'll just continue to drive and, like, fix itself. But it didn't. And I started driving towards this 50-foot concrete wall. And in that split second, I thought to myself, I'm going to die or I'm going to end up in Harborview tonight, which is like this level one trauma center, which I don't know how I thought so quickly. But I was thinking, I'm going to die or end up in the trauma center tonight. And so, again, in true Kelly fashion, right before I hit this wall, I just go, Jesus, save me! And I just turn the wheel over, and I start spinning 180 degrees to oncoming traffic. And I am screaming bloody murder. And this lady who tried to get into my blind spot, we are making eye contact. And I'm like, it was you! And then in this next split second, I spin another 180 degrees, and I am back in the far left lane. I drive a stick shift at the time. It was still in sixth gear. Nothing had changed. I continue going with traffic. And I'm thinking, there is no way I just survived that on a busy Seattle summer day. And in that moment, I heard this still small voice that said, Kelly, I have more for you. How... And it was just crazy because I think I knew that I had been blatantly, blatantly disobeying my, my heavenly father. I had been blatantly, selfishly doing what I wanted to do. And yet in that moment, the grace of God came over me and it was greater than anything that I could ever imagine. His mercies were so abundant that even in this still of this crazy moment where my life is flashing before my eyes and I am screaming for help, God comes down and listens and answers my prayer. Grace, I believe, is more than just a word in the gospel. It's a whole new meaning to life. 
It's a lifestyle that freed me from bondage from the world, my past, and my failures. And I believe that God's grace exemplifies a clean slate, whether that is in baptism or daily renewal, freedom to live, to worship, to love abundantly. And it's taught me that nothing, literally nothing, can separate me from God's love because where sin abounds, grace abounds greater. So as I'm sobbing on my way to school, and I don't know why I still continue going to school. I should have just stopped and gone home, but I was dedicated to OCHEM. <laughs> so I realized I'm still going to go to school, and as I'm driving, I'm just realizing my phone also died that day. I realized that no matter how ugly I was inside or out, God continues to see me as his beautiful child, and he will chase me to the ends of the earth to to find his one lost sheep. And after that, I didn't want to live my life any other way because this life is not mine. It is a gift given by him. And each breath that I breathe, even now, is borrowed from the breath of God. And I wanted to dedicate my life to his purpose and his cause. And so after that, I began to ask God to open my eyes and see windows of opportunity to serve him. And it was never like, oh, I'm going to start living my life like good now. Because no matter how hard we try, sin lives within us. So if anyone has their Bibles, we're going to turn to Romans 7, which is in the New Testament. Romans 7, 14, 23. And for those of you who didn't bring a Bible, I think we might have something on the screen. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. This is literally me feeling how I'm feeling in 2014. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the part of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So this is exactly how I was feeling in 2014, of not understanding why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but I do them anyways. Because there's no way that I can live a perfect life. And I realized that it wasn't about doing what was good. It was actually about my intentions, my character, my willingness to grow, and that if I had fully accepted God's calling in my life, from that point on, my one meager yes to God opened doors of opportunity to swing open, which I'll go into a little bit later. But let's look at the text that Renella read so beautifully tonight, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18. It's a beautiful message. And I just want us to note the times that it mentions newness. So let's read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is, this is, I don't know if you guys have read this before, but this is significant, especially during the time and the cultural context of the people, because Paul is writing to the city of Corinth, and Corinth is known as one of the most wicked and corrupt cities that was well known for its debauchery, and essentially the word Corinth was the synonym for immorality. The city was known for their temple for the goddess of love, and I'm really bad at pronouncing this, I think it's Aphrodite's, which had a thousand priestesses who were known as sacred prostitutes. And these priestesses lived in the temple located above the city, and at night they would come down and practice their trade. And what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And it was very much a city equivalent to our modern-day Las Vegas, but maybe a little bit worse, because in 1 Corinthians 5.1, Paul is writing another letter to the Corinth, the people of Corinth, and it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Whoa, right? So 1 and 2 Corinthians were written a year apart from each other. And biblical scholars will say that Corinth, it must be remembered that Corinth was one of the most wicked cities of ancient times and that the church was surrounded by heathen customs and practices. And maybe this is because of the environment that they were in. And maybe, unfortunately, it made a mark on the church as well. But the two books of Corinthians were letters that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth to remind them to live above this practice of life. And I love that in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul has every reason to call these people out. And instead of just calling people out, he begins with a friendly greeting. And then follows by verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction, though the comfort we ourselves receive from God, and so forth. And he continues this until verse 11. And I love that Paul reminds us that God is comfort, and that although the Corinthian believers had strayed from morality and God's desire from their, from their lives, they would always, always after having placed their faith in him, be his children. I also want to note what's amazing about the church plant in Corinth was that it was one of Paul's most fruitful and extended ministry, which is really hard to imagine. He stayed there longer than in any other city, which usually he would stay in one place for maybe a few days or a few weeks. He stayed there for a year and a half. And a lot of the people in the church of Corinth were diverse. There were slaves. There were people born into noble families. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. So it's very diverse. And so here we are imagining a church in ancient sin city that is flourishing. I think that would be equivalent to someone in our modern day society being like, hey, I'm going to open a church in Las Vegas on the Strip. And 
I'm going to have people just stay here for a year and a half, and by the end of year and a half, we're going to have people flocking into our church auditoriums who are just craving the message of Jesus, who are giving resources freely and from all walks of life and socioeconomic backgrounds, and using the resources that Las Vegas has and pouring it into the church. Can you imagine? What if Las Vegas became like a Mecca for Adventists? That would be pretty cool or any other Christian denomination. And we are known to be the most loving, non-judgmental, accepting, God-loving, God-fearing humans. Hey, do you need anything? Come here and rest and heal your wounds and know peace when you are with us. So when we read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18, Paul is saying something very uniquely. He's saying, hey, you were living in sin. The people around you are still living in sin. And at some point of your life, you were a hopeless cause. And nothing could save you, not even your own works. But because you now believe in Christ, you are a new creation. I also love that Paul writes in Ephesians. He writes a lot of the New Testament. But he also writes in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. And he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, that no one could boast. And that is unheard of, because how could someone living their entire lives stuck in sin become new again simply by believing in Christ? Are there no consequences to our actions? I love how the book, The Road, illustrates this. Picture it this way. Suppose you're in the middle of the ocean and there's no land anywhere in sight. For anyone who's scared of the ocean, I'm very sorry for bringing this into your mind, but we're going to just practice this together. You can swim all you want, but you are too far out. No matter how much swimming you do, it will amount to nothing. You need to be rescued. And thankfully, a helicopter appears out of nowhere and tosses a line to you. Your only job is to take hold of the line so that you can be pulled out of the water and into safety. And that line is grace. And by placing your trust in the line, you are now exercising faith. And the line is what saves you. And faith is what enables you to grab that line. You have the faith that the line will also hold your weight. And that is how salvation works. Grace is what saves us. Faith is what enables us to take hold of grace. And God seeks us and finds us and draws him to ourself, draws us to himself. He then offers us the free gift of salvation, but it's up to us to embrace it. This is why when asked, what must I do to be saved? Jesus' followers replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So we go back to the book of Corinthians. And we know that these people are entrenched in sin and they didn't have any hope. But now Paul is saying you do because this lifeline has been given to you. It's become such a successful church, and Paul loves his church dearly. He can, continues to encourage them through letters of wisdom and hope. I love that the book of 2 Corinthians emphasizes that the work of God doesn't depend on us, on our own strength or our willpower, because Christians may be weak, but we allow God to work in and through us. And it shows that God is working powerfully through our lives, so that when we become Christians, he changes our lives completely, and in that, we might be like him, and that is what is meant by a new creation. 
If there's nothing, I believe, nothing too big or too small for God, because his power supersedes everything. If he can reach into the lives of the Corinth people, if he can reach into my life and that still and small moment, I know that God can do the same for you, if not more. There's no level of addiction, level of depression, anxiety, fears, failures, successes, no darkness or space where God cannot reach you. And there's no better time than to be with him now. I think in the past I used to think I have to be good in order to be a part of God's church. I have to fix myself up. But what I didn't realize is that God meets us where we are. The issue becomes when we start focusing on how we love God instead of recognizing the God that, he, the God that we worship and the love that he has for us. But how much does God really love us? Well, he went through all this trouble to go through all of this so that you can be here and I can be here right now. So that we might have a small sliver of a chance to be in a relationship with God so that he may show his authenticity to you and his love for you. You are so loved and treasured in his eyes, more so than you can possibly imagine. And he sent his one and only begotten son so that he can live a perfect life and then die a death that we deserve so that we can get what Jesus deserved. And as I was prepping for this sermon this week, I was very nervous, and I realized that I have actually a lot of newness to celebrate. I realized that I was once dead in my own transgressions and sins, living this second life that I had and the ways of this world. And I think of my baptism, which was a beautiful moment to restart your life and to declare publicly, I want to follow Christ. And I'm pretty sure I cry at every single baptism that I go to, and I don't even know the person. It's like a random person, and, and somebody's getting baptized, and I'm in the back just crying and sobbing. Because I think it's such a beautiful moment to declare in public declaration that I want to follow God forever. I also don't cry at weddings. I think that's an issue. <laughs> and I don't cry in movies either. I like watching other people cry in movies, and so I'll turn and like watch people. I don't know. It's just fun. I also think of daily renewals. I know that each day we begin with a new beginning. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. It says, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. But how do we practice this on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I think first and foremost, we can worship daily. And by worshiping daily, we can avoid looking at the tree wells of life. And has anybody gone snowboarding or skiing or like inner tubing? Yes. And who's coming with us to go skiing or snowboarding? Yes, on June, January 30th. That was just like a sly little promo right there. But I'm really excited for that. So I went snowboarding for the first time in like middle school, I would say. And I went with a bunch of friends, and I had no idea how to snowboard. So it was really intimidating. I was like 12 years old, and I'm going down this like little slope. Actually, it wasn't a little slope. It was like they knew what they were doing. So they were just like, come on, Kelly, let's go. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I saw these giant tree wells. Does anyone know what like a tree well is? 
Anyone? Okay, they're also called, I Googled this right beforehand, but they're also called spruce traps. They're basically, after a heavy snowfall, you'll notice the space, so there's this tree, and the space right under its branches where the trunk is doesn't have any snow, but then all the snow that was snowing has like piled up around it. So there's this like trench of like 14 feet of snow. And some people have told me horror stories before I went snowboarding that people have fallen into the tree wells and they can't get out because it's over six feet tall. So I am terrified. I'm going down, slowly down this mountain and all I'm doing is staring at the tree wells and I'm like, I don't wanna go in. And obviously where you're looking is where you go, and I almost <laughs> fell into a tree well, and it was so scary. I remember thinking, like, this is, I'm never going to do this again. I hate snowboarding. <laughs> so years later, I realized, like, Kelly, you could just not look at the tree wells. And so I realized, I'm just not going to look at the tree wells. And so I go down this mountain, and it's like my second or third time snowboarding, and I make it down just fine. I don't go towards any tree wells. I didn't fall in at all. And I realized that, you know what, like, there's a lot of tree wells in life, in our life, right? Like we are such in like this tunnel vision where we're like, oh, I'm so focused on this like bad relationship or this failure of a class that I'm taking or this addiction or we don't focus our mind on the ultimate goal, right? We focus on the failures. But by renewing our minds every day and worshiping God and reminding ourselves that the end goal is there if we put in the work, if we continue to wake up every day, continue to put in the work to, to take the time to study or take the time to be with God or take the time to work on a relationship, we gain new perspectives. And in that, we gain renewed strength. And in that, we gain a renewed mind. There was a medical study at the National Institute of Mental Health where they asked subjects to perform a simple motor task, just a finger tapping exercise. And as the subjects tapped, the doctors continued to conduct an MRI to identify which part of the brain was being activated. The subjects then practiced the finger practice exercise daily for four weeks, and at the end of the four-week period, their brain scan was repeated. And in each instance, it revealed that the area of the brain involved in the task had expanded. And that simple task, just a finger tapping exercise, literally recruited new nerves and rewired neuronal connections. So when we read scripture every single day, even if it's just one chapter or one verse, every single day, we are recruiting new nerve cells. We are rewriting neuronal connections. And in a sense, we are rewiring our brains in alignment with the word. And over time, we develop the mind of Christ. We think his thoughts. We see the way that, others, other, that he sees others. And every day we're giving a new opportunity to, fresh, to start, have a fresh start and to grow closer in the relationship with Christ, to grow closer with those in community. And as the band comes up, I also want to mention that lastly in this past year, I am reminded of a lot of change and loss and suffering and in renewal. Because I realized that when there are difficulties and trials, there's also resiliency. And in resiliency, there's also a renewal or a newness. And this past year of 2020 and 2021 has been a lot of suffering. I realized that I've gone through a lot of wintry seasons. 
and I've experienced the dark night of the soul. And ultimately, during that time, I couldn't see anything past that darkness. But it cracked my inner self, and it broke me open for renewal and change. And there's beauty in recognizing that maybe this isn't what I actually thought that I wanted. And maybe the thing that I thought I wanted wasn't actually what I needed in my life. Because God has a different journey for each and every one of us. And there's liberation in naming it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 9 to 10, it says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I gave my life back to God in 2014, I started asking God to open my eyes, my ears, my mind for opportunities to serve. That year, I was asked to lead campus ministries um, at the University of Washington. And we had a group of about 20 Adventist students who would join us on campus and do Bible studies. I was asked to attend the North American Division Adventist Christian Fellowship, ACF, and be a delegate for the Washington Conference. I was floored. Who, me? Do you know what I've done in my past? Do you know how sinful of a person that I am? And yet they said, yes, we know, Kelly. Go. You have been called for this. When I was at ACF, I met a friend named Jeremy Anderson. And he invited me to join his grace tour. And we traveled nationally to do motivational speaking. During that season of life, I was also ordained as an elder in my local church in Seattle, and I cried. It was probably one of the most humbling parts and moments of my life. To know that I came from this broken, messed up past, and there's so much more that I haven't shared, and that God was continuing to use me in that brokenness, it really changed my life. And this past year, I failed out of medical school here at Loma Linda, and that really broke me. I had spent five years of, after college working in the operating rooms as, as a surgical tech, shadowing physicians, taking extra classes, doing extracurricular activities. I took the MCAT three times. And eventually, I made it here to the biomed program here at Loma Linda University. And I thought, God, why did you bring me all the way out here? It crushed me. I was so lost. I was angry. I remember asking God, why? What is the purpose of me being here? And yet the reason why I share this is because there is so much beauty in our stories. And there is so much hope in all of this. Because last year, as I was wrestling through my future aspirations, feeling so lost, I just wanted to serve you, God. So I started a small business. I made hand-sewn masks. I just wanted to serve my community. My aunt, she had received a cancer diagnosis that was terminal. If I had made it into medical school, I couldn't have stayed with her for the last few weeks of her life. I couldn't have taken care of her in that time of her life. And I realized 
that as I began to serve in spaces where there was opportunity for me to grow, in that time I was growing as well. I came to Praxis because I had a friend who invited me. Thank you, Austin. And I came to serve, or I came actually to a life group, and I didn't want to make any new friends. I was not here to make friends. <laughs> I came here because I just wanted to be a part of this, of where God was leading people. I wanted to be where people were because I knew that's where God was. And so as I continued to attend my life group, I was asked kindly by someone to direct life groups. And from that point on, I started working as a co-leader for life groups. It was so enriching. And thank you, Carla and David, for sharing your story of, of why you became a life group leader. It really is a life-changing and transformative experience. To be honest, I was just so broken in that time. I was embarrassed to walk into spaces, and I was scared that people would see me in a different light because I failed. But I realized that that is not what God sees us as. It's through the still and small moments that God continues to speak out and into our lives and to realize that, hey, it's going to be okay because your identity does not lie in what you do, but in what I can do for you and how I can use your story and your journey and continue to impact those around you. It's a long journey, and it's definitely far from being over. And I realized that this past year has been one of the best ones of growth. Because as I continue to, to work as a co-director, and as I continue to walk into the spaces and praxis, that people noticed that there was something different, that I love to lead, that I love to, to be involved. And so I was offered a job to work here as a ministry assistant. And in that, taking that step of okay, God, I'm going to let go. I'm just going to let go of what I want. This is not my life. And I just want to do what you've called me to do. And he's called me to go into his ministry. And so by accepting this role at Praxis, I'm also accepting the fact that, hey, one day I'm going to become a pastor. One day I'm going to go to seminary. One day I'm going to use my story. And even that's even today to continue to inspire, to motivate, to share our struggles, and to share that the love of God, how much it has changed my life and hopefully yours as well. Newness isn't always pretty. It's never, almost never accepted in society. And it requires humility and grace and acceptance. But you know what? If I can do it, if the people of Corinth can do it, you can do it as well. And you have the power to succeed in God's eyes, which is simply in believing in him. You have the capability of choosing peace over fear, of renewing your mind each and every day, to focus more on God's love for us than what we can do for God. I hope that you take these practices and join me in this year of renewal. And maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's a daily renewal. Maybe it's going through some trials and tribulations that you're going through right now that will crack our souls just a little bit and make us new again. I know it may hurt, 
but sometimes we need to be broken in order to build ourselves back up again. Whatever it is, let's ask God to continue to guide us in this new year. In Philippians 1.6, it says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's continue doing this and continue to cling to this promise together. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, I just ask that right now you be with each and every person. You know our stories. You know our hearts. You know where our minds are. You know how our week has gone. You know how our lives have continued to be a struggle, Lord, and we need you desperately. And so, God, I pray that we can join you in this renewal in Christ that it is a radical change, Lord, whether it's through baptism or a daily renewal, or maybe we're going through a tough time right now, Lord. I pray that each and every person here who has felt that call, that right now you can just slip your hand up and slip it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. I see hands slipping up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to give an invite to those who want to take another step in their relationship with God and you want to give your heart to God and to enter into a new family made in a new creation. And if that's you, if you'd like to get baptized, I just invite you to lift your hand and just put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you for those in the back. Thank you. God is so good. Lord, you have seen these hands tonight. You have seen our stories You have seen our hearts, and I pray that you are here with us in every single way, Lord, that you will touch our lives, that you will walk with us in our journey through the the valley of death or on the hills of glory, Lord. I just pray that we will trust and believe that you will do the rest, that we will do our best so that you will do the rest, Lord. We love you. We thank you for the gift of salvation that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, for that I could be a vessel for you to share this story, Lord. And I pray that each person here tonight will be able to one day share their stories to others, to share their stories to their friends and family, or to come up here, Lord, and share their story one day, that you may be a, that we may be a light to our community. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, Follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.